The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Mackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 5, Waiting On. This is a bonus season that falls between the written books 2 and 3 and is only available via our free podcast. As always, thank you to our beloved fans and loyal listeners. And now, we begin. For Those About to Rock, Part 2, written by Mercedes Lackey and Dennis Lee. Now, let me get this straight here. When I say I have the magic equivalent of a PhD in astrophysics, I am not kidding. Yes, there are instinctive mages, and some of them, a very few, are very good. Those few are the equivalent of natural athletes, or people who sing opera well with no training. The rest? They're like every Yahoo who says, hold my beer, and thinks he can drive like Mario Andretti or Paul Newman. Not gonna happen. Oh, they can get where they are going most of the time, but there's a lot of flailing and flogging, and very often, very, very often, there is collateral damage. And yes, there are the old fam trad mages, trained in the traditional manner by a family or a coven member. Things mostly work. They mostly never stray out of the family recipe book. They honestly do not know what they are working with in the same sense that people drive cars every day and have no idea of the mechanics and physics of an internal combustion engine. Then, there are the people like me, trained in very small, very special schools. I won't tell you where. I will tell you that every day from the time I was seven years old, I went to the regular PS 17 grade school, then came home and spent another four hours in a very different school far, far from my home. It was not Hogwarts, let me tell you. It was more like Kitty Caltech. I did that every day of my life, including weekends, right up to college. And then I went to college. That college, one that was in a university, but... And I'll tell you what it is. Merlin College, Oxford University. Good luck finding it. You can look at Magdalen College in the north corner of First Court by the Chapel all you like. If you aren't in Merlin College, you'll never see the door. So, yeah, it was like that. I did this because my parents determined that I had a double dose of the family knack for the power and knew it was either train me early and hard or burn it out before I killed someone. Now, don't get me wrong, I wanted this. There were very few times I rebelled, and the rebellion never lasted more than a day or two. You know how prodigies always are. Math, science, letters, dance, music. It's not our parents driving us into it. It's us charging in on our own, sometimes against the will of our parents. You punish us by taking away the music, the math books, the magic. It was in high school that this magic school figured out I was one rara avis indeed, a technomage as well as a geomancer. In short, I could magic machines. The more complicated and computerized, the better. I had an affinity for them. Most mages don't. Catastrophically don't. Some I know can't even live in a place with electricity without starting electrical fires. 
The fact that I could use them the same way most mages use an athame and chance blew people out of the water. Now, actually, I had known this for some time. I just figured it was no big deal. Everyone else could, too, and eventually we'd get to technomancy in the classes. When I realized that, no, I was the only one, and they realized what I could do, well... Let's just say I ended up with a bit of an ego which bit me in the ass. But that's another story. This only intensified my education. I'm a math whiz, and I do technomancy, which means I can make shit up and know it's going to work. Or to be precise, I know the exact odds of getting it to work. I can improvise way outside of the normal things that modern mages do, substituting components and the like. If I don't have what I need for a spell, since I know the math and can deconstruct the original, I can make up a whole new spell on the spot that will use what I've got. I can, and do, run calculus in my head, though I always double-check on the computer. This is because, at its root, magic is the ability to move energy in a way that gets things done that you want to get done. The tool for moving it is your will, reinforced by the energies of the stuff you use to make up the spell. Usually mathematical diagrams in my case. I don't need to use many components these days. That magical energy is all around you. Conventional science just hasn't discovered it yet. The energy you use to move that energy comes from inside you. Yes, if you've made the intuitive leap already, I'll confirm it for you. Luck is magic, energy responding to will, changing reality to suit you. But there's always a price always a price. Part of my price to become the technomancer that I am was to have a mere sliver of a childhood. I understood bone deep very early in my life that I was potentially juggling with nuclear bombs. I also understood bone deep what the consequences of failure were because my parents took me on a visit to a ward full of people who had slipped while juggling. Trust me, you never want to go there. This is why when I do the things that have less than perfect odds, they're set up so I am the meat shield between catastrophe and anyone else around. There is no free lunch. Most of the time, the price is sheer physical exhaustion. Sometimes you end up with a higher price than that. I did once. That is why I am a massive, aching, burning, scarred tissue from my collarbone to my soles. Yet another story. But I can no more give it up than I can give up breathing. It's me. It defines me. I need it like I need air. I never realized how much until Echo came knocking on my door post-invasion and I built Overwatch and was operating at the height of my powers again. I say, without false modesty, I am a Robert Oppenheimer of magic. And just as he, I understand the math and the consequences of not understanding the math completely. He did not embark on the creation of the A-bomb in a spirit of anything other than the full understanding of the consequences of failure. I do not embark on spellcasting in a spirit of anything other than a righteous dread of what might go wrong. Ever. So, this is why I see red, pun not intended, when the genie acts as if I was some street witch trying to hex her boyfriend's ex with a supermarket spellbook. 
Then we get into the fact that not only am I an exquisitely trained mage, I am a mage steeped in magical ethics until it oozes from every pore. Ethical magic is hard. You can do nothing without consent. You clean every speck up after yourself. You think a lot about all the possible ramifications that your alteration to the universe might have. But I digress. While I was thinking this over, my screen lit up. Read me Overwatch? That's a Roger. Something occurred to me. I knew he had headed out without a lot of warning, and that he'd be there a while. Jeet yet? You want to? What? That's Southern for, did you eat yet? Want to? I glanced at Herb, who was peering at the screen in a way that suggested he was very eager. He had come back to me just hours after Red's words had sent me reeling. He was a mere pebble of what he once was, but he had clung to life. He was still with us, and he liked Jeannie, and... Well, if Jeannie was feeling guilt or remorse over what he thought had happened to Herb, it wasn't fair to let him continue to feel bad. Herb is an interesting barometer for bullshit. I have no idea how he does it, but he always knows if somebody is a basically good guy hiding behind the facade of an asshat, or scumbag hiding behind the mask of someone you can trust. He's never been wrong. Not even when I thought he was. And he liked Jeannie. Go figure. Yeah, I suppose I could do with something to munch on. Why? You're likely going to be there a while. I've mapped you in the alley, and it's not paved. Which meant, of course, that Herb could sneak in through the ground after I gave him a magical shortcut to a spot I knew nearby. I think sending some Chinese delivery my way might be counterproductive to the nature of the stakeout. I had something more discreet in mind, provided you're good with a little visitor of the arcane kind. Herb was jumping up and down and clapping his hands. Chinese? Elves? I took that as a yes. I went to the kitchen and packed up a small hardened lunchbox of mil-spec steel. It was going to have to survive being hauled behind Herb through the dirt. Coffee in a thermos and a sandwich Bella brought me from the deli. She thinks I don't eat enough. I used a little magic to make it hot and fresh. Go back to the way you were an hour and a half ago, basically. Reverse entropy. Normally I'd use the microwave, but I think Jeannie's taste buds are better than mine. I gave the box to Herb. I had little arcane landing zones plotted all over the city these days in case I needed to send someone, or something, there in a hurry. Without a landing pad, whatever you upport has odds of 85% ending up a smear on the ground. Or worse, embedded in the ground. Herb and the lunch were small, it wouldn't take much out of me. Even better, Herb was magic in nature. Magic critters are easier to apport. He stepped into the diagram I drew on the counter with a box strapped to his back like a backpack. I asked Jeannie to bring him home, later, unless he wanted me to report him back or to take the long way back. Sometimes he does. I think he's exploring Atlanta underground. 
literally underground. I ran through the math, sketched more diagrams in the air, said the right sounds, and with a pop of displaced air, he was gone. I went back to the keyboard. Okay, you hearing something nearby that sounds like digging? Check there. You're not sending gnomes at me, are you? What do you think I am, a travel agency? No, just a Philly cheesesteak and some coffee. That works. There was another long pause. I wondered what he was thinking as Herb pushed the box up out of the ground. Finally. What the hell is that? Take a good look. I know it looks like a walking lunch bucket. Look who's carrying it. Another long pause, and I swear to you, the text looked angry. That's messed up, Victrix. Herb was your friend, wasn't he? What is this? Some animated chew toy look-alike? Simpler was better. Hold your horses. It's Herb. It really is. Hell, go take your lunch and talk to him. You'll see. Another long pause. The hell you say. How? Well, now that was a tricky question. Not sure, really. My guess? It wasn't his time. Simplistic and not my best guess. I don't believe in fate. I've personally changed fate too often. Closer to say that elementals don't work like us. They have different rules. He used up everything of himself for you guys, but some things kept him here. Like maybe his will. Earth elementals have the most powerful will of all the, the elements. Herb just could have made up his mind that he was not going and imposed that on the universe. Of course, there had to be a reason why he would have decided that. Like what? I don't know. Our friendship, maybe? Or maybe he just wants to see what shit you'll get into next. Could have been either. Could have been both. Could have been a reason I hadn't even guessed at. Captain Sarcastic had to put in his two cents on it, of course. So now, what? He's your delivery boy? I didn't rise to the bait. He wanted to say hi in person. Other than that, he hangs out with Gray and does what he wants to do. Right now, that seems to be MMORPGs. He's with the Horde. Evidently, I said the right thing. Just shook his hand. Now he's dancing. I found myself reluctantly smiling. He likes you. I did not expect the response I got. Yeah. Everybody makes that mistake at the beginning. Say what? Bitter much? I replied. Again, a response I did not expect. Not from a guy who, from everything I had seen, had an ego that almost left enough space in the room for some air to breathe. Many hours of expensive psychotherapy have classified it as acceptance. Thank you very much. Yeah, right. As if the genie would ever come within a nautical mile of a shrink if he could avoid it. I decided that it was a good idea to switch subjects. 
how's the action at the target? All quiet on the Western Front? Immediate reply. Nothing. I'm getting extremely cold vibes here. How solid is your intel on this one? That part I was sure of. The DG sighting was a definite maybe. The bomb lab is a hard yes. But our little Nazi sympathizer might not be home. Evidently, his patience had been stretched thin. Okay, I'm heading in. Breaking contact for a bit. Keep Herb around. He might need to get back to you with a report if I don't come out. Give me ten minutes. What could I say? It was his op. The building was all artificial. I couldn't even scry in there clearly. Roger, be as safe as you can. And thanks. The coffee was good. It was a very long ten minutes. My only comfort was that Herb was there. If the excrement really did hit the rotating blades, Herb could get through to me quickly. Though small, he still had enough power to do that. And he did. Before I got a text, I got a message from Herb as a bloodstone apported to my desktop. Not good. I opened Bella's freak. Bell, Jeannie's hurt. How bad? was the instant reply. I'm at Echo Medical. I can add myself to any team that goes out after him. I don't know yet. I was about to open Jeannie's radio freak in defiance of the orders when I got another text. Area secure, Overwatch. Send in the cleaners. I pulled my little smoke and mirrors thing and called Echo Dispatch using a CCCP freak. Comrades, this is Upir of CCCP. You are to be having command down, Comrade Krasny Genie. He is to be scenting me at safe distance and is to be telling me to be having cleaners and medic scent. Echo Proper did not know about Overwatch. Echo Proper was not going to learn about it until Tesla gave it the official blessing. Roger that, CCCP Upir. They didn't ask what a CCCP op was doing out of their neighborhood, and I broke the freak. When Echo Medical got the buzz, Bell would handle it. All this took seconds. I texted back. Herb says you need a band-aid. Scrambled Echo cleaners with Bell in tow. Wouldn't mind if they rushed a bit. My heart jumped into my throat. Okay, I knew he was able to heal himself crazy well, and I was still kind of annoyed with him, but... You okay? I responded immediately. The reply did not comfort me. Not really. The guy knew how to use that machete. My heart nearly stopped. Shit, Red, how bad? Pretty bad. I can see, well, parts that I shouldn't be able to see. I wanted to swear and didn't have time. Instead, I got on Bella's CCCP comm. When she answered the thing, I could hear the siren in the background. This is being Upir, Comrade Blue. Your man down is yet good, is being cut half open. This was for the benefit of the others in the response vehicle. Roger. Spasiba, Upir. Off mic I heard. 
You heard the woman. Floor it. Then the calm clicked off. I got back on the keyboard. Got the pedal to the metal. You should be able to hear the siren soon. Stay with me. Keep typing. What about the mark? I didn't want him to pass out. He was experienced. He knew what to keep pressure on, how to make his body help him, and he would as long as he could. He was his own best aid at the moment. Oh, his parts are all over the place now. He didn't leave me much choice. I was going to type anything to keep him alert. And DG? No sign of him. Hope the cleaners pick up his scent. A pause, and I was about to try and prod him when more text came. Herb's not dancing anymore. He just keeps looking at me. You made him sad. I'll explain later. Now, that was way, way oversimplifying. Herb was an elemental. He might be childlike, but he was no child. He understood very well what Jeannie had just done, and although... I do not know this for certain. I am quite sure that either an elemental Herb knew or even Herb himself had killed in the past when someone had tried to coerce him magically. They did that. That was what Red had been afraid of. You'd fight to the death, too, if someone tried to enslave you. And Herb was an elemental. They are nature spirits, as in nature red in tooth and claw. They are well acquainted with innocent violence. These are not happy, peaceful little stone Buddhists. So, Herb was not sad that Red had killed someone. He was sad that Red had been hurt, and sad that Red had been forced to kill someone, and that, which the text, he didn't leave me much choice, told me, had made Red feel guilty. What I would explain was why all this had happened, why it had been needful, and that humans felt guilt even when we did needful things. He might act with the open emotions of a toddler, but his understanding was completely adult. Another message from Herb. A roughly truck-shaped rock apported to my keyboard with a click. I breathed a sigh of relief. But Red... Red didn't know what I knew or what I meant. And the last text I got from him as Belle and the crew reached him made my heart ache. Guess he likes me less now. Told you. Everyone makes that mistake in the beginning. You have been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, Season 5. This podcast is voiced and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is made possible through the amazing people at patiobooks.com. Music is Exciting Trailer by the equally exciting Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. To keep up with podcasts and news about the Secret World Chronicle series published by Bayon Books, follow us on Facebook or at www.secretworldchronicle.com. <laughs>